Welcome to another episode of the Get Your Edge podcast. I am your host, Brian Bott from Sports Advantage, and I'm here with my co-host, Coach Manchin. Coach, track season starts tomorrow. Let's go. What do we got? Let's fire yes. it. Let's go. Just, uh, we just get all that snow. You know, last week we got all that big snowstorm and everything, and now, you know, track's starting. It's always exciting in the state of Wisconsin. You never know what it's going to end up being, but hey, I know – Spring sport athletes are ready to rock and roll. And not only do you have track, but then you have the rest of the sports just short, shortly after that all fired up. So hopefully we can get these snow off the, the grass and, and get out there and let all these athletes enjoy in the spring sports. Dean, maybe give our listeners that aren't too familiar with like how spring track goes, right? You have an indoor season and then you have an outdoor season. Maybe just give us a real quick, um, you know, because most people are used to just, you know, baseball's outside, right? You play everything. Track's a little different. You get some events. You get to go to Oshkosh and some other stuff like that. Just give us like a little quick, you know, how track lays out. I think it's really unique and pretty cool for the kids. Yeah, you know, it's a great question, Brian, because, you know, indoor track is a situation and you know, we start March 6th and you're really going till that first weekend of April. It's kind of like that, what they call the Wisconsin track, you know, WTFA, it's a kind of an indoor state meet, but it's really not because not everybody goes. It's whoever wants to kind of go to that meet can go to that meet. That UW-Whitewater is the host for that. But a lot of our indoor meets, just because of facilities, are generated by um, universities. For example, we have a meet at Oshkosh and Stevens Point. And we're very fortunate in the state of Wisconsin to have the WEAC schools host a lot of meets which helps out but they have the they sometimes have a uw too right at the shell they've had meets yes they've had, they've had some meets there as well and you know it's just a great opportunity for for kids to get out there and compete and a lot of the events are different some of the sprinting events are different the relays are different obviously in my situation being a throws coach there's no indoor discus so all you have is shot put so your main focus is shot put and the indoor season. And then once you get outside, that's usually that second week of April, then you get to that outdoor. And even in it, when we start outdoor, you never know, you know, there might be a couple meets where those first two meets of the year are canceled and that right. happens. And then one day it's 50 degrees and the next day it's, you know, 20 degrees with the windshield. So athletes, you know, have to understand when they get outside in all the sports that and with the Wisconsin weather is they have to make sure they are nice and warmed up. That's awesome. No, it gives a kid a great opportunity to compete and, you know, with some of the other sports and in Wisconsin with softball and baseball, it gets hard because, you know, you, you're going to get, it was funny uh, a couple of days ago, I had some kids in and, and we were just laughing about some of the school cancellations that we've had around here that have, been a little suspect but we're not going to get into that um just talking about how baseball games constantly get backed up you know in, in wisconsin because of snow sometimes in april cold weather and so you know you find that kids are playing four to five games in may every week or 45 games in april and you know it's hard to save on arms and things like that so i think what we do in wisconsin with track is really nice gives the kids an opportunity to compete you know, get ready to get outside, you know, it acts like a, almost like a preseason or, you know, a preparatory type thing. So I think our state does a great job with Very how, they, how they do track and field and so many great athletes. And I think credit to a lot of our fall sports coaches and even, even winter sports that have been pushing their kids more and more to golf or track. And not only just, 
you know, to develop for maybe what their main sport is like a football, you know, working under speed or, or lineman throwing stuff like that. But just, we've talked about it a lot, Dean, that, that one-on-one competition, you know, if you're standing in the ring or if you're standing on the line or, you know, we, we work with a girl that's been a state champion high jumper, you know, you're the only one out there and it really prepares you maybe more for life than any other sport, Dean, because you're kind of on your own, kind of like swimming, you know, but at least swimming, you're in the pool. Um, but you're a track, you're everybody's watching. You're in that ring, that circle, or you're jumping or you're sprinting. Everybody's watching. I think it's a great sport for kids to do. The other thing, Brian, which was really nice about track, being a track coach as many years as I have, is once you get outside and you start getting into dual meets and triangular meets and some quad meets, everyone participates. So I think, you know, that is a big sell for athletes out there is, yeah, you have some meets where you can only have the 28 entries that are invite meets and bigger meets. and But a lot of times, one those smaller meets, everybody gets an opportunity to compete. And that doesn't happen in every sport. And there's sometimes, you know, in a basketball game, a person's on the team and never gets in the game or right. you know, football or a- any of the sports out there. So that's where it advantages of, you know, participating in track and field is there's going to be times, you know, when that meet starts, you are going to be competing. Well, Dean, you know, we just finished our hundredth episode, Alec Ingold, who was on last week. And I tell you what, you know, I went back and listened to episode two that Alec was on. You know, we did our, our first actual episode was introduction to the podcast. Alec was actually our first guest on the podcast. Uh, we've gotten a lot better. Since then, we weren't very good back then. We were just two strength guys that that knew how to knew that that a forty five on each side of the bar is one thirty five, and make sure that the bands are tight and and, and uh, you know flying ten is either ten meters or ten yards, and you have to decide on that. We were kind of going to this podcast game a little different, but I think we've got a little better, Dean. I would definitely agree. I think it was out of our comfort zone. I remember when we were going to start. It was like, late. Let's just start. You know, what we always tell our kids, you know, the biggest thing is, is just you have to begin. You have to, you have to set a goal and you have to start lifting and you have to start getting ready and go to open gyms and get better for your sport. Too many people procrastinate. And finally, we just said, let's go with it and we're going to grow. And it's, I think it's a good lesson to all of our listeners out there is just start something. And if you be consistent with it, you're going to get better just like anything else. And, you know, we're really grateful Alec came and he really wanted to be on this 100th episode that we had. And he did an incredible job. And when we asked him, hey, we want you to be part of this 100th episode, he didn't even hesitate. He got on that thing right away and said, I would love to. It'd be an honor. And we were so grateful to have that. And he did an incredible job. Yeah, he's a special guy. You can tell that he cares. You can also tell he's gotten better at speaking and storytelling and, and things like that. His book. I uh, can't wait to get a, my hands on that. Seven uh, Crucibles. Oh, uh, yeah. A- exceptional. So if you can get that, grab that an incredible book. But, Dean, you know, when you, you, you followed up on what I said there, you were talking about comfort zone. And today's episode is a Q&A. And first off, thank you to a lot of our guests that have sent in questions for us. Uh, really appreciate the feedback. We've got a bunch of questions that we're still waiting on. But, again, we don't want to tackle 20 at a time. We want to hammer away. And three more of them here. And the first question, Dean, comes from a parent. And it said, what's a parent's role in helping their own kid get out of their comfort zone? And, I mean, this is a 
big thing right now. Everybody wants to be in their little shell. I mean, we couple, about a week or two ago, we had, you know, I did a podcast with Zach Evan Esch and, and we were talking and he made some, had some posts on comfort zone, uh, getting out of your comfort zone. Um, what I see in, in our area a little bit that's happening is, you know, instead of kids trying to pick a place that's really going to push them or a place that's going to challenge them, you know, they want to go train with their buddies and they want to hang out with their buddies. Cause that's kind of like the clicky thing to do. And at the end of the day, I had one of our kids and I shared this on my Instagram uh, a couple of weeks ago that actually said, to, you know, I said, Hey, why do you train here? And this is a kid that's going to play division one football. And he said, coach, because I'm not the best one here. And he said, I, when I walk in the door at X, Y, and Z university, I don't want to say because everybody will know who I'm talking about is I'm not going to be the best guy. And I need to learn how to chase other people. I need to learn how to, you know, get after the, the, the guys that are quote unquote, maybe the alphas in the weight room and how to push myself and, and how to not be the best. And I thought, what a great, what great growth mindset, but parents, from your perspective, if you're always allowing your son or your daughter to go and take the easy way for them, um, I'm not sure how they're going to develop. Because at the end of the day, you're really just protecting them from the harsh reality that is life, that there are other people that are better than them. There are other people that are stronger than them. There are other people that probably work harder than them right now. And the only way to learn how to do that and to get better at those things is to face it right, right in the face. You know, the best athletes we have, Dean, when we do our, our starts, our sprints, our jumps, they're, they're lining up against each other. You know, our kids that are going on to play college sports, they're, they're not shying away from competition. They're gravitating towards it. And when I look at their parents, push them towards that. You know, a couple of things really, you know, stand out to me, Brian, is remember we had Emily Scott on who's at Louisville and she's played volleyball and she's also doing track and field. She's a high jumper. And I just remember when she was talking on the podcast, she talked about, you know, getting out of her comfort zone to really have her develop as a person. And when she got homesick, it was having those conversations with her parents and her parents said they were there for support, but they said, you will become a better person in dealing with this situation. And I think that is great advice. Parents, support your son or daughter, but tell them and make sure they understand that that's part of the growing process. And instead of bailing out right away and looking for you know that situation where you're gonna just jump to go to a different college or try to find that solution for them, help them and give them the directions to try to get through those times. I think it's so important that support and knowing that, hey, I got your back and this is part of the process and just being super supportive makes a, a big difference. I know Barry Davis talked about, you know, when Amy was training with you all those years at Sports Advantage. And listen, if, if you're going to be and you're going to go and I'm going to commit and I'm going to sign you up for these sessions, you need to take some accountability and some ownership and you need to make sure you are there and it's got to be important for you. And sometimes you're going to be in a situation where it's easy to come up with an excuse. That's bad weather. Not going to get in there. Hey, I'm tired. 
I didn't get much sleep and it's easy to skip that workout. But when parents are there saying, hey, you know, you signed up for this, you need to be there. You need to give good effort. You need to get yourself through these tougher situations. And we know growth is going to occur once you're outside that comfort zone. So parents, you have to really be supportive in these situations. And I think sometimes too many parents are feeling sorry maybe for their son or daughter and then give them that out right away. Things get tough. Hey, I'm going to help them out. Let them go through and solve those problems themselves. Have them communicate with their coaches and that will make things a lot better. And they're going to grow a lot more from those type of situations. Look, none of us want to see our kids go through tough times. Yes. Right? You're just, you're a parent and that's, that's normal. And that's, you never want to see, you know, your kids suffer or struggle or fail. But if they don't learn how to overcome those things on their own, through the middle school and high school years, they're going to have a really tough time when they go to college or when they go to, you know, go to a trade school or whatever they end up doing. If you're always protecting them, when are they ever going to learn those things in life, like discipline, facing adversity, doing the hard things, competing when someone's ahead of you? At the end of the day, at some point as, as a parent, you have to let your kids fail and you have to, you know, how be there, but you, you know, you want to be there for them, support them. Hey, that, that happens right now. You got to go, you know, when you wake, I, I remember uh, my, my choir teacher dog, cause I'm a, I'm, I can sing now. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, those of you that have seen me sing karaoke, it's, it's amazing. I'm not standing on stage right now, but anyways, um, my choir instructor, you know, Paul Galsvig, incredible man. I'll never forget. You know, I would come to, I'd come to choir fifth hour when I went, um, there were a lot of times that I got written out of choir and, you know, after a hard basketball game and, you know, he put his hand on my shoulder. And again, he had no invested interest as in the basketball team, but he had a vested interest in me, he put his hand on my shoulder. He goes, son came up today. Right. And, and the first time he said it, I was like, yeah. And he goes, yeah. He goes, the sun comes up when you win. And the sun comes up when you lose. He goes, now it's what you make of the day. And I've always remembered that and, and cherished that, that thought. Because at the end of the day, as parents, you also conversely have to go the other way. You can't let your kids go too far down the rabbit hole when they have a lot of success. So it's always good about being really steady with them. But this whole, you know, protect your kids, take them out of this program because they're not playing shortstop or they're not the point guard and put them in another program. At the end of the day, all your kids are going to learn to do is run away from adversity. And you're, you're not creating leaders for what we need the next generation to be. We need more leaders. We need more kids that are okay you know, getting knocked down and getting right back up, getting knocked down again, getting back up, getting knocked down again, get back up. Cause eventually you're either going to knock someone else down or you're just going to plow through. So anything else on this one, dog? You know, Alec Ingold talked about his experience with his wrestling. He yeah. talked about it in his book. And, and when I heard him speak, he said the same thing. One day was just a tough day. We all have good days. We all have bad days. And you know, this 
college wrestler was coming to help him out, make him the you know a better wrestler, and it, he was beating on him, and he was making it a tough practice, and he got done, and he was physically spent, he was emotionally spent, you know he was he was just crushed and wanted to quit, and who did he go to? His dad the next morning, you know he packed his stuff up, he was done, he was going to quit wrestling, and dad just had a a great conversation with him and said, hey listen, you know sometimes we got to get knocked down in order to to progress. And his whole mindset shifted. And that was one of the reasons why Alex became a state champion his senior year in, in, in his wrestling season. And that was a defining moment that it, parents, the dad could have said, hey, yep, you're having a bad day. I feel sorry for you. Just quit. You know, that's the easiest way. That's the path of least resistance. But dad was knowing that, hey, this is a great type time of you know his situation to really grow as an individual and there's going to be tough times in your life and Alex said that was a defining moment in his life and then after that when he left high school he had other adverse situations that you know he had to get through and that was just one of the things that prepared him for more of that adversity that he was going to that was going to occur after high school and I tell you what, he's faced a lot of adversity he's come through it so Yes. Kudos to his dad. Kudos to his dad and 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 pushing him through that. Question two, Doug. Yes. How should athletes warm up before a weightlifting session? Wow. Um, thoroughly. <laughs> you know, um, I think in today's day and age, I think the the and we don't call it a warm-up so much. It's more the the preparatory. We call it preparatory. Um, because at the end of the day, I think warm up has taken a you know a different connotation in today's uh, training, but at the end of the day, I think that's one of the things that isn't done at a very high level. I think kids can do, especially for us, when we talk about like the the lifting portion of it, we always want our kids doing a few extra warm up sets and reps. Two reasons for that: one, because they're young, and at the end of the day, we want to make sure that they groove their patterns, so to speak, right. So through their warm-up sets, we teach them about making sure all the technical aspects of the lift, whether it's a squat, deadlift, bench, um, whatever other exercise, close grip bench, floor press, making sure technically they're they're getting everything locked in, you know, from a posture standpoint, from a foot position standpoint, and things like that. The second thing, and no one really talks about this, Dean, that we really believe in, is we're creating more volume. And I heard a, I heard a podcast with Louis Simmons. You know, he was talking about when him and him and Chuck Vogelpohl used to, you know, do deadlifts is Chuck would jump plates and Louie would jump quarters and for, you know, for months and Lou's deadlift kept getting better and Chuck's kind of stayed stagnant and Chuck never really understood why. Well, Louie was basically getting an extra set of warm up or build up in. So he's giving himself more volume. Each time. So he was creating more work capacity and more volume for himself. So high school kids and high school coaches get extra warm-up sets in, build some volume and work capacity, especially with like our young kids, like our middle school kids, they do even more, you know, warm-ups. Do a set of 10. You know, do a set of 10 with the 15s if you can dumbbell bench 40s. You know, do a set of 10. Yeah, good. Do another set. Do another set. Do another set. Because we're building volume with the kids, and that's going to help build strength, and it's also going to help build work capacity. 
One of the other things, Brian, I really like is when we have a group warm up is I think it's a great opportunity for the strength coaches or sport coaches to really assess their athletes. And a lot of times you can see, are, are they getting valgus of the knees? Are they not getting their leg high enough? Therefore, they're lacking some hamstring flexibility and mobility. You know, are they nice and low? Are they getting good range of motion with their hips? You know, I know when we do a, a little bit more upper body dominant exercises in the weight room, we're going to do more thoracic mobility and we're going to get them shoulders nice and loosened up. If we're doing more of a lower body emphasis, we're going to do a lot of hip stuff, a lot more ankle stuff. And then as we're going, we're going to start out pretty stationary and then we're going to start some movement and we want to get that heart rate up just like we normally want to do. We want to get them working full ranges of motion. So when they go in the weight room, now when they go do a squat, they've already done a squat below parallel with body weight before they add any kind of weight. Or for example, if they're back squatting, a bar on their back. So we want to definitely make sure that they're doing a great warm up. And a lot of times this is athlete led. So that gets them going. The athletes take some onus on making sure they're getting a great workout. And then we want to get that core temperature up, get a sweat going on. And really that warm up sets the tone for the whole workout. And that is another thing that we give our kids a lot of opportunities to get up there and lead. So they get out of their comfort zone and they get that group going and really start setting up, getting some energy in that room. So when they get going and they start adding that weight on the bar, yes, they are doing extra setups. And I think this is where you individualize it a lot because as we know, the stronger the individual, the more warm-up sets they may need. Right. And so that's very important. We always tell you know, our strongest guys in the weight room that it you have to know your body. Not only do you have to read the workout card and understand the method to the madness of the program and as far as the progressions and how you become stronger and the progressions of doing that exercise, but you also have to read your body and what gets you to perform at the optimal level that you need to do in order to grow and get better during that workout. And then that routine is, we talk about has to be consistent and what works for you might not work for somebody else. And we talk about spring sports coming up. It's a big difference when you're warming up to run a hundred meter, you know, race in track and field when it's 20 degrees outside and windy versus it's 70 degrees. So your whole routine might change and what works for you. How do you perform the best? You know, where is your warrior dial? Like we always like to say, you know, if 10 is super jacked up to get in that, you know, those blocks, the sprint, you know, nine is the next level down eight. What works for you and your personality? It meets because some people I got to get really jacked up. Some people just got to kind of bring that warrior dial down a little bit and they end up performing a lot better. Well, I think, too, Dean, it's also you said, you know, making sure that the warm up fits the workout. You know, so, if, you know, for us, TKEs, some type of hip activation is always a part of the warm up before they squat. Before we bench, you know, our upper body work, any type of rotator cuff, um, some type of push up to really set their body in motion and, and things like that, some type of med ball throw you know, for the upper body and, and lower body, it's a jump. So make it specific, but make, make it a priority. That's the one thing that, 
that I think gets lost in this is typically your warmups are very, like you said, very consistent. So for kids that gets boring and, you know, they start to maybe they're thread the needle. They're just kind of throwing their arm up in the air. They're not really working on rotation and, and, or hydrants, or, or even if you're doing RPR or however you're doing that, you know, make sure that it's a priority. And we always tell the kids it wouldn't be in the, it wouldn't, we wouldn't make you do it if it wasn't a priority. We don't want to waste your time. And telling athletes the why behind the exercise, even yeah. if it's a warm up exercise, I think is big. You know, we, right. it, trying to constantly educate them hey, if you got tight hips, you're going to lose your ability to move in all different types of directions. You have tight hip, hamstrings, you're decreasing your top end speed. So if, if you don't have good ankle mobility, you know, that is going to make a big difference. And when you squat, you're going to probably lift your heels up. And therefore, you're not going to have that tripod position on the bottom of your foot. So I think anytime strength coaches out there, give them the why behind why you're putting that exercise in the warm-up. Why are you doing the glute activation? Why are you doing the TKEs? Just because, hey, we're telling you to do them? Or what is it trying to prevent? All of those things, I think, are a huge buy-in for the athlete. And now they think, oh, I get it now. So right. this is for injury prevention. This is to help with my mobility in my hips or my ankles or my thoracic mobility area. Hey, this is why I need to make sure this is mobile so then I don't get a pars fracture in my lower back because I was extremely tight in my middle and upper back and my hips. And therefore, now I go into my season and I get injured. So that, I guess, you know, it's been a big key, I think, with what I've found when I go visit strength coaches, I'm always saying, hey, why, why, why are you doing this? And they can immediately tell me why they got that exercise in their warm-up, in their program. This is the reason. Awesome. Question three, Dean, how do you incorporate sled work into your program? You know, for us, we use sled work for a lot of different, a lot of different things. One, you can use it as a warm-up. It's really good, especially for my NFL guys and my higher end guys, you know, instead of doing a lot of, you know, dynamic movements to start out the, you know, the workout, especially the guys that have gotten a little older, you know, have them drag a sled, you know, have them walk, you know, a certain distance with the sled, get their core temperature up, their heart rate up. But it's also, again, you're building work capacity in that. Uh, for us, we use the sleds for very, you know, we use a push sled in our sprint work. I'm not a big believer in treadmills. Um, but we use a heavy sled push uh, for a longer distance, a heavy sled march for a for a longer distance. We'll also use a lightened sled push for a max effort sprint that you probably see on a lot of our Instagram pages uh, on our absolute speed days and our acceleration days. So sleds are great, especially the push sleds for speed development. The other thing we use sleds for is obviously in our GPP and building work capacity. Now, the nice thing with sleds that people really don't think about is it's actually a single leg movement, okay? I mean, you're walking, excuse me, you're doing a lateral walk, a crossover walk. That's a single leg strength movement because you're dragging that sled. So sleds are one of the best things that that programs can have. They're affordable, which, you know, we a lot of you out there are on a budget. Sleds are very affordable. You could get a lot of kids through on there. Everybody can do them. So if you're running a youth program, you know, off of your high school program, your youth kids can use them. They can walk them. They can drag them. 
They can pull backwards. They can walk forwards. They can march. Um, you can do, if you're lineman, you can do a duck walk, a nice wide walk. Uh, they're so versatile that if you're not using sleds, you're probably missing out in your program. Yeah, Brian, I would, I mean, all of that is incredible stuff, but I think many times the issue probably is with the sleds. If you're got mass numbers is how do you incorporate that into a program? If you're not lucky enough to have an indoor facility or a big weight room, Hey, how can you get mass numbers through? But the benefits like you said, and you can be as creative as you want to be with those sleds and you can do so many great things. I remember going into one of your facilities at Edgewood, Edgewood High School, and yep. you guys were timing the sled push and, and then doing it without the sled and kind of doing some contrast training with that. And just you could see the competitiveness in all the athletes that were doing it. And anytime you get athletes to be competitive in a weight room, you know that the buy-in is better, the effort is better and everything else. So you can really do so many good things with it. But that GPP, that general physical preparation, I believe is huge. And I know you're a big believer in that. That's a lot of your conditioning is sled work, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, our kids don't condition. They don't like do gassers. They don't do down and backs. They don't do... 300-yard shuttles. Rob Havenstein plays for the Rams. Alex Erickson plays for the Commanders. When, when you know, AI, Alec Ingold trains with us. You know, if Kevin Zeitler stops by for a day, any of those guys, we do not condition without using a sled. And the way we do it with the sled, you know, we have, you know, four different protocols with our NFL guys. The one is a backwards drag protocol. So they're just walking it backwards. The second one, and we have, you know, in our Wana Key location, it's nice because we have a huge parking lot in the back, but it's slanted ever so, you know, ever so probably about a 10 to 12% incline. So not very much where they can march it down. So they're actually marching it downhill, but when they walk it back, they have to walk it uphill. And then we also take varying distances. So, you know, like for Rob, I'll make him march anywhere from 60 to 80 yards, you know, or walk. 68 yards, but I time him. Okay. Just like I would time a gasser, just like I would time a 300 yard shuttle. We build the rest periods based off of the same rest periods that they would have for conditioning tests, things like that. And that's how we do that. We also do, it's probably about a 200, 200 to 250 yard, you know, speed walk with a really light weight. So they have to make it in a certain time. They got a certain amount of rest and they come back. The nice thing with sleds that is so much better than doing the conditioning is it takes so much load off your joints. And the other thing not only takes the load off your joints, but it's incredible for recovery. So if you've got kids that, you know, they, you just had a big lower body day, the best thing they can do, come in the next morning and walk the sled. Just walk it, put a plate, put two plates on, have them walk back and forth. They're going to get that blood flow into the lower body. Maybe then get into like a Hartzell hips type band sequence at the end to get some flexibility work, you know, and then they're off to school. Um, and just to your point, Dean, you know, how we use sleds within our GPP, our GPP, we have four to five different exercises. So we may only have four or five sleds in our gyms and we may have 10 to 15 kids in the group, but we, we, we have them going through different exercises. So reverse hypers, you know, maybe that you have like a monster band walk banded leg curls. So you hit those different exercises. That's how you can rotate your kids through with minimal equipment. Because again, not everybody's got 10 reverse hypers. 
Not everybody's got 10 inverse curls. Not everybody's got 10, 20 sleds. So you have to be creative in your program. Don't just be, you know, rigid and be like, well, we're sled walking. So now we have 40 kids. We have three sleds. So we got, you know, five minutes rest. No, you have to be better than that for your kids. And you have to think for a solution. Sleds have to be in your program because they have so much benefit. And so you have to figure out the best ways to get them in there. Brian, it just got me thinking about the sleds and you use it for that recovery, but movement is medicine. And I, I think so many times when we think of, you know, unloading or, or recovery, we don't think of, we just think of, Hey, just sitting in a chair and not doing anything all day, but movement is medicine. I think the sleds are incredible for that. The other thing I think with the conjugate system is a lot of people don't understand when you're doing like speed strength work and you're doing a dynamic day, your heart rate gets up there. Yeah. I think sometimes they look at conjugate as a, as a power lifting thing and you got these big, huge individuals and, and they got all this mass on and they're not in very good shape. But when you actually do the program, I noticed you have had a lot of college athletes come back and all of a sudden start your conjugate system and, and it's tough. They, they can barely get through the workout because they're not used to moving that much weight in a specific time frame. So your heart rate's gone and that general physical preparation is, is absolutely huge. Yeah. And I, I think like if you're, you're, you're trying to get stuff for your house, buy a sled, you know, you can, and again, there'll be sometimes we have sleds, we have sled at my house. Sometimes the neighbors think I'm kind of goofy now. Every now and then I'll be rowing the sled down the street. I'll be walking the sled down the street. Um, but at the end of the day, they're so versatile. And again, the, the upper body work you can do with the sleds is, is something that really doesn't get talked about. You know, we have, when we do our recovery days for our combine guys or for our pro guys or for our kids on day five, like their fifth day where they're doing more of a GPP day, you can walk a sled. You can drag the sled. You can go a crossover step. You can do a shuffle walk. And then you can do a sled row, a sled overhead tricep extension, sled face pull, sled lateral raise, sled front raise, sled bicep curl. Um, it's it's endless. So again, you're talking, we, we got that question a few weeks ago, Dean, about starting a strength program. And we said bands and reverse hypers. Well, if you, you know, if your budget is really low, sleds are another great, great option because you can probably get 10 to 12 sleds for probably six, 700 bucks and get a lot of kids through, you know, at the end of the day, building work capacity is really important without traumatizing their joints and building recovery. And, and I think it's so important. I mean, for your throwers, Dean, you know, if it was me after a meet, that would be the main thing that they would do the next day, you know, as they would drag that sled, build that work capacity. Cause again, even in a power throwing or a power sport, like throwing, you got to have good work capacity. Because even if you throw and then you got three or four minutes before you throw again, you got to be able to repeat that max effort activity. And so at the end of the day, if you're not, you again, I'm going to say it again. If you're not using sleds, you're probably missing the boat. Great stuff, Brian. And when you talked to fired up, man. Wisconsin Track Coaches Association, you, you had uh, Coach Ebel from Auburn University uh, really intrigued. You know, in, in that situation with, uh, you know, the conjugate method and when oh, yeah. he used the throws coach. So right away he thought, of, you know, boy, this really sounds like throwing. Right. And it, it's really hitting everything. So I know he was taking notes like crazy 
And um, he knows I use the conjugate system for throwing. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, Bill Richards had you talking about at the throws or talking at the throws at the track clinic during the throws session on the conjugate method for throwers. Well, Dino, that's three. What do you think? Super, super excited for spring sports. Society, you know, the I know, I know, yeah, I know you've done so a, many athletes a, just yeah. done with the winter here. They want to get going. They want to get outside. They want to get out and compete all their hard work in the winter yeah. is they, they want to show it off. So super excited yeah. for those athletes and coaches. Well, I'm excited to see the kids get out there and fire it. I, and I'm excited for a lot of our kids to, you know, put that, that second hand on the ground out of that four point start and see what they can do and and whatnot and as as you get into your spring sports again don't forget the value of in-season training okay it, again the summer program is just around the corner it's three three months away two months away you know you can't go these next three months without training and i understand track is is a little different sport it's a little bit more of a taper sport and things like that you can use the conjugate method in track stay strong get stronger and still perform at a high level as you go through the spring. Okay. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Get Your Edge podcast for the Q&A. Remember, please share the show with your coaching friends, uh, with your teammates, if you're an athlete, colleagues, things like that. You know, we're hoping we're, we're getting some good information out to you. Um, you know, we don't run ads on the show. Uh, we don't have sponsors. Uh, we do it because we love what we do. And we love providing. We love the questions we've been getting. So please keep firing those off. And uh, just share the show with your friends. We really appreciate it. All right. Shop it. <laughs>